The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and it is kind of an exciting week this week. Um, it's not the draft, it's not free agency, but we're getting the first look at some somewhat serious practices by the Cincinnati Bengals, the new look Cincinnati Bengals under Zach Taylor. A lot of news and notes from organized team activities, otherwise known as OTAs, aka OTAs. And we'll get to that on this week's episode. We will get to uh, a number of different things. First things first, John, how are you, bud? Um, it's been a busy week. A lot to cover. We're not usually this busy in May, so I'm, I'm grateful we have stuff to talk about because this is fake football and it's the summer. So let's, let's just get on with it, man. Yeah, and th- there's a lot to talk about. We will talk about the offensive line, some comings and goings in terms of departures, signings, potential signings and um, some news around a particularly polarizing Bengals player. We'll talk about that. We're also going to be joined uh, for the second week in a row. We're going to be joined by a special guest, uh, Jacob. I believe it's pronounced Luke or Loke uh, from Baltimore Beatdown. Um, we were trying to get all of the AFC North uh, teams and, and people from those blogs that represent those teams to come and talk to us a little bit about the offseason, how it's gone, and the outlook for 2019. And what better way to start than with the team that won the division last year, uh, the Baltimore Ravens. So we're excited to have Jacob on. He'll be on probably in about 30 minutes. So we'll get to him in just a little bit. Uh, before we kind of kick things off, as always, I want to remind you, you can get this show in case you're not listening to it live uh, or tuning in live. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can also get it on the Megaphone platform. Uh, It's on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. So get the show how you can, and we're glad to have you with us for this week's show. So, Anthony, Marvin Lewis may be gone, and that era is behind us. But for the third offseason in a row, the major headline we have for this team is the offensive line. And in the early uh, portions of offseason program, we we got a bombshell from the offensive line, and that's Jonah Williams's. Right now, as of this moment, as of this recording, the team's left tackle going forward and it is being reported that Corey Glenn is being moved inside to left guard, not moving to right tackle, not staying left tackle. He's going to be the left guard. And apparently he had a conversation with new offensive line coach Jim Turner and supposedly he and uh, Zach Taylor are on the same page with this about moving inside potentially long term or at least for this season or at least for right now just to see where things are. So at the moment, you have Jonah Williams at left tackle, Corey Glenn at left guard. Glenn would be playing left guard. If he stays there at left guard, he would be playing at the position for the first time since he was in college at Georgia. You have Billy Price at center. And then presumably you have new free agent signing John Miller at right guard. And the guy we all know and love, Bobby Hart, starting at right tackle, presumably unquestioned because they don't really have a lot of depth at tackle right now. So I, 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 guess, the, I guess the things that I'm thinking about right now, because it's May and nothing really matters too much right now, but it's just about looking – at this from an individual perspective and who is it really good for and who's it really bad for. And I, I, I kind of want to start with the, with the guy who should be happy with this Jonah Williams and how he has been a left tackle for the past two years. He was a right tackle his freshman year at Alabama. And obviously I think this bodes well for him because if, if he's at left tackle now, presumably that's the position that the Bengals should want him long-term to, to eventually, you know, hold down that spot for the long term in, in case he comes back for a second contract. But it also maybe even good for Glenn because 
even though he wasn't a, a he was far from a disaster last season, but he did show signs uh, of, of struggles in terms of pass protection, in terms of handling quickness off the edge. So maybe a move inside to him, uh, inside for him could p- potentially prolong his career and prolong his effectiveness. So do you think that this move nets more positive than than negative in terms of of, of where the pieces are right now? That's a very good question. Very difficult to say uh, definitively because, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this, the whole wild card in this equation is Clint Bowling. Um, mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll hold off on talking about him in just a second. But um, for me, I, I have a little bit of uneasiness with this configuration, but I also have a lot of confidence in it. Um, I, I, The old school cynic uh in me does not really like the idea of a rookie left tackle stepping in right away in another year where there's a lot of jumbling around on the offensive line you you presumably will have a new left guard um right next to him now Cordy Glenn's a veteran so you know that that could uh, that could end up being a good thing but i mean it's a new position billy price uh, missed six games last year so he's still on a learning curve a little bit you now have a new potentially right guard and john miller like you mentioned there's uh, so there's just a lot of transition and so when you throw a a left a rookie left tackle uh over at that spot and there's this isn't a unit that has a ton of cohesion built yet that worries me um, I, what I don't worry about is the maturity level, the intelligence level in terms of football IQ and ge- in general, as well as the, the physical abilities. That's what makes me more comfortable with Jonah Williams at left tackle than perhaps other prospects or another rookie. Um, I, I think he's very mature. I think one of the things that this team loved about him. A lot of scouts loved about him is just, he's an, he's a nerd for the game. Basically. I mean, he, he, you heard in the draft process, he takes notes on everybody he goes against. So that that's based on the failures they had with Jake Fisher and Cedric Abwehi. That's the type of guy you would need at a position like that. So there are pros and cons with that. I think like you said, in terms of Glenn, I think that there is I think that's the right move to start looking inside. There were some limitations shown last year as a left tackle. I thought, hey, for what he was paid to do, what he was brought in to do, which is solidify that left tackle spot, which uh, that was a disaster with Abwehi. I thought he did okay. I, I didn't. I didn't think he was absolutely awful. Um, you know, there were a couple of games that he struggled, but I, early on, I thought he played pretty well. And then late in the season, I thought he played pretty well. Uh, There's some stretches in the middle of the season, especially during that terrible losing streak where he didn't play so hot. So I think kicking him inside and especially at an inside spot, he did play at times in college and you're putting him next to the rookie. I think that makes sense. But like we said, and I, I'd love to hear your take and we can talk about this, but I, I don't know what's ahead for Clint Bowling. Um, I, I, I think based on things I've read from you on Twitter and, and whatnot, you're a little bit negative in terms of thinking that this this is writing on the wall for Bowling. And I guess I'll kick off the conversation by saying I, I think I think he's going to stay because he's injured and who knows what's going to happen. But I think it's very telling 
that Cordy Glenn had said that he had a specific conversation with Zach Taylor and Jim Turner about being the left guard. That's definitely the like the factor that I think we have to take into account for because it's it's one thing for just Glenn to be at left guard just to have your supposed five best players out on the practice field while Clint Bowling is rehabbing, but it's another thing when you when when you add that other element into it as if this is something that they're considering going into the season. This is something they're considering forecasting the 2019 season w- with having that. So yes, I, I I agree with you. I do think it can be a positive for Glenn because he his, his time of effectiveness at tackle could be shortened. And I also think that uh, it's good for Williams too, because you know, that that's the position that they should want to develop him. And I do think that he could handle both left tackle and right tackle to at least an average level in his rookie year. I think he's just that good. I think both are nearing equally important. It used to be just the left tackle was the, the far superior, more important position. But as we've seen in recent years, having a solid right tackle is, is definitely valuable. And it's almost as valuable as having that solid left tackle because of how many solid edge rushers come off of that right. side of the offensive line, Especially when, when you consider the fact that you know a, a bad right tackle, bad right tackle play has plagued the Bengals' offense for so long, and that's kind of the next point I wanted to get to. So when you have Jonah Williams at left tackle, you have Clint Bowling at left guard. That, that's that's all fine and dandy, but then as you said, where does it leave Clint Bowling in the picture? Because I think at this point in his career, he definitely identifies himself as a guard. His best position is guard, but he has played tackle in the past. You know that, that has been something that they've they've asked him to do, albeit in emergency situations and when there was quite literally no other options left, but the Bengals presented themselves with an option of starting Bobby Hart because of the contract that they gave him this off season. So it would, you know, if you gave both bowling and Hart a clean, fair competition, it honestly could be either bowling or Hart wins that competition because bowling is the better offensive lineman, but is he a better tackle than Hart? It's, it's very much up in the air for me because he's just not a tackle. It's just not his natural position. He's a guard. So when you put Glenn at left guard and you presumably start John Miller, who you gave a three-year contract to at right guard, it just leaves bowling very much up in the air. So I don't know if this uh, if this move to put Glenn inside generates the best five offensive linemen because you bowling right now still is one of your best five offensive linemen. His best days might be behind him, but he's still one of your best five. And that was something that you know Zach Taylor ha- has said that he wants for this for this offense to have the best five blockers and. I'm not sure that this move necessarily does that. So if you were the offensive line coach, if you were Zach Taylor, what would your ideal five offensive linemen be? And would it be the same as what it looks like right now? Well, that's, that's another great question because, uh, you know, we don't know how severe this, this issue that's plaguing bowling that's keeping him out is, Um, you know, this time of year teams play it overly cautious, especially with a valuable veteran. We talked about bowling last year, I think, you know, last last week rather, um, salary wise, salary cap hit wise, everything is manageable. Um, I mean, he's under he's under six million for the year, and you could argue that he is your best offensive line as we sit here this minute. Maybe Jonah Williams will be a better offensive lineman and better tackle. Maybe Cordy Glenn is you know going to hit his stride, be healthy, and and be an effective guard if that's the plan who knows but as we sit here this minute to me Clint Bowling is is their best offensive lineman Jonah Williams probably a very close second but um you know I, I it's to me he's he's valuable on a number of different fronts I mean he's he's got the experience he's been durable and he's played three different positions he's had starts at three different positions on the offensive line for the Bengals during over the the course of his uh previous eight years so and one of them has been at right tackle uh so 
He started at right guard too, so that's four. Well, I guess you're right, four, yeah, yeah. So, you know, to me, it's just not a guy. I, I think I'm going to reiterate what I said last week on this. I think he's a guy you hang on to for the final year of his deal. You now have a, a chance to groom a Michael Jordan to be a, an interior offensive lineman. You have John Miller for the foreseeable future. Um, to me, if you're going to ask me right now what the – what the ideal offensive line would look like for the Cincinnati Bengals. I coin flip because of what I said earlier about Jonah Williams as a rookie left tackle. I coin flip on that. Um, I think maybe a start with uh, Jonah Williams at left tackle. You go with Cordy Glenn at left guard. You, you have to go with Billy Price at center. You then go with John Miller at right guard. And then I think you give bowling a try at right tackle. I think I think that's going to be your best configuration. You could even make an argument that, hey, put bowling at left tackle, let Jonah Williams get his feet under him for the first few games, and then maybe you make a swap there if, if there's issues or what have you. But at that at that same point, this is uh, offensive line, as you know, John, is such a unit that is it's based on cohesion. It's based on guys playing together as a unit and moving things around, especially midseason doesn't work well a lot of times for teams. So um, I guess if, if you're, uh, you know, putting a gun to me right now, I, I guess I'd say Jonah Williams left tackle, Cordy Glenn left guard. I really do like the idea of Cordy Glenn kicking inside. Um, I just don't like it, like it, like it, it, kicking bowling off the roster. But Cordy Glenn left guard, Billy Price center, John Miller guard, uh, at right guard, and then bowling getting a look at right tackle, I think should be, is my best five. Okay, so I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna keep Glenn at left tackle because it's just the position okay. that he's played through his entire NFL career. And I think he still has one, maybe two good years left, which is convenient because that's how many years he has on this mm-hmm. contract. Clint Bowling, I I think is still a better left guard than Christian Westerman. Even though if I'm thinking long term, you know Westerman might have a lot better years left than Bowling, but I'll keep Bowling at left guard. I think Trey Hawkins is the best center on the roster. And if we're just doing by, by this, you know, plain simple, who's the best, I think he's better than Billy Price. So I would start Hawkins at center. Yeah. And then I would start Price at right guard because I think, you know, Miller is probably an average player right now. And I think if you played Price at right guard, he would be just as good, if not a little bit better, because he has a little more athletic upside. And then you have Williams at right tackle position that he's played in college. And, I, you know, Williams's muscle memory and his overall biomechanics makes him ideal for either tackle position he can it's not really a matter of of, of rust for him it's not a matter of preference i think because not all tackles can make the transition from both sides and we just don't know if if glenn has that ability in him because he has never done it at the college or pro level but i'm confident that williams can handle either side so i I think that would be my ideal five it wouldn't probably be best for the future because i think you have to keep price at center if that's the position that you want in long term and you don't want to go into right guard at, at after being center and then maybe going back to center again because you have Hopkins just on that one-year deal. But the commonality here is no Bobby Hart in the starting lineup. Yeah, and I guess I was playing a little bit of politics there um, because of the contract you gave John Miller, the draft investment you made in Billy Price, and for the position you drafted him to play. I mean, my assumption is that 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 kind of played into my equation, I guess, a little bit. And I, and I should have gone a little bit more like you where, you know, perhaps Michael Jordan right now is a, is a better guard, perhaps, uh, you know, they're, they're, who knows? Um, you know, Trey Hopkins could be the best center on the roster right now, but Billy Price could take that leap in year two that uh, we all want him to. 
and and to solidify the middle of the line i saw a um uh, from in the live youtube chat t martin says uh jonah bowling price jordan and glenn um i'm, I'm assuming that goes from left to right uh, on that one that's an interesting configuration too so um the good news is they have options yeah. right yeah. they've got a lot of options and that's They've done a lot of different things on the offensive line over the past two off seasons to make sure that they have options, and that's uh, given the state. That's what of what of the line. That's what you want. They're definitely going to be better, but it's just a matter of limiting your weaknesses. Because as we saw back in 2016, they had Whitworth, they had Zyler, they had Bowling, but you had two major red flags in Boyhe and, and Bodine, and that basically ruined the unit. If you go out there with Bobby Hart at right tackle, that's going to be a red flag, and teams are going to be able to exploit that, no matter how good the left side line is. So that's definitely something that they need to remember and keep in mind when when finalizing this five. Yeah, and and again, I go back to the politics thing because Bobby Hart signed a uh, you know as we know a, a a lucrative deal for the the level of player that he is mm-hmm. um so uh you know that uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out uh we're talking offensive line and otas about the Bengals here um you know a lot to talk about there's some more news we're going to get to in just a second before jacob luke uh, joins us from Baltimore Beatdown of SB Nation. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you can get this program on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform. You can get it on YouTube and on CincyJungle.com. Kind of continuing on a little bit, John, with uh, some news and notes from OTAs. It's not so much. I guess a segue, we can segue kind of, into this because it's an it has to do with an offensive lineman and that's Alex Redman who on Wednesday it was found out that he was caught for a PED uh, banned substance and is going to be suspended for four games. There's not really much. I mean, we got to talk about it because it's big news and he's a very polarizing player. There's really not much to say here because it seems as if he was brought back as a depth move. I don't think he has any kind of inside track on the starting right guard gig that he held last year. Um, I think, uh, <laughs> but, um, your thoughts on that, <laughs> because some of it is actually pretty comical based on, uh, some shots he was firing at some people on Twitter, including myself. Um, and then he comes out and does this. So your thoughts on it? Yeah, he's been, he's been relatively quiet on Twitter ever since he got slapped with just an exclusive rights for each and tag. And then interesting how that works, right? Suspended for four games for something that happens pretty much every year with multiple players that they, they get injured and then they take a substance to heal faster. And they didn't talk to their doctor beforehand. If the substance is legal, it's kind of a stupid thing overall, but I don't know if Alex Redman's ever been the smartest uh, cookie in the jar, so there there was always that implication with that. But, again, it was unlikely he was going to make the roster under a new regime. I don't know if he really fit the Jim Turner type. He could have. Regardless, he's going to be out for four games anyways, and that probably doesn't affect how many games he would have played with the Bengals because I don't think he would have made the roster anyways. But, regardless, it's a shame, but it's just how it is with, with some of those players. Yeah, and apparently it had something to do with the fact it, it may have been a recovery type of thing. He he had a couple of injuries that maybe he was uh, rehabbing or uh, it's, it's the same. Do. It's the same reason why Burfitt got suspended, I think, for last year. Just like yeah, yeah, just you're, you're injured and you, you you think you know taking this thing will help it heal faster, but the league is obviously really heavy on you know banning substances, so that's just just the reality with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I, I like you, especially with the additions of Miller and Jordan and, and the re-signing of Hopkins. I, I don't know that Redmond would have made this roster, but um, you know, in some eyes, I guess there's some value there because he started, I think what 15, 14, 15 games last year. So um, you know, he, he was in their lineup quite a bit, but uh, you know, now it's looking like he's, at least not going to be there for the first month for anybody, whether uh, he ends up getting cut or what have you, but uh, interesting news there. And then kind of some big news that came out late Wednesday that is very interesting. And the, and the questions I want to get, I want to shoot to you about this, Gerald McCoy, uh, you know, anytime there's a veteran player of, of any kind of worth or value, you know, Bengals, Oh, we got to sign him. We got to sign him. <laughs> um, but this one is very interesting because he is he kind of fits the Bengals free agency profile in terms of a guy probably looking for a veteran deal. Maybe you can get him cheaper than um, expected. He was also a former high pick, um, you know, a, a guy who can still give you a little bit um, in terms of pass rush, uh, probably quite a bit. Uh, I think he's still got, you know, a good couple of years left in the tank there. Gerald McCoy, of course, we're talking about former Buccaneers defensive tackle he was let go a few days ago and then it came across the news wire on Wednesday afternoon and evening that the Bengals were interested I think it was Diana Rossini from ESPN that that helped break that news but um, you know I think uh, from from that standpoint I think it's pretty interesting um, I, you know obviously this this move would be pretty big for the team. My questions to you, John would be, I guess I'll start here. How realistic is, is Gerald McCoy coming to the Bengals given that he fits a free agency profile, but there seems to be other teams lurking out there, Colts, uh, Patriots and others that seem to be interested. Um, I think it really depends on what McCoy wants and how much money he's asking for. Because like, like you said, the Colts and the Browns seem to be like the two front runners in the whole situation. I think there's more of a chance that he gets, significant playing time, if not starting playing time with both of those teams, because both of those teams still need that, that coveted three technique spot. I think that's really what the Browns seem to complete that defense. And that was, that was definitely a fit that I think people were thinking about in the early portions for agency when it was rumored that McCoy w w would get dumped by the, by the Buccaneers. So that definitely makes sense for him, but with, with the Bengals, you know, he would come in here, I would think just as that rotational guy, the, the guy who would come in on third downs, and just rush the pass right as that three technique opposite of, of Geno Atkins. And that's still, you know, 400, at least 400 quality snaps of pass rushing snaps with him. And I think he had last year with the Bucks, I think it was around 450 pass rushing snaps. And honestly, looking at, you know, the rest of the Buccaneers roster, I think he had like a, a lower pass rushing product production rate than like Vita Vey, who's like the nose tackle that they drafted a couple years ago or maybe last year. So it was definitely a down year in terms of, of what he was used to, but I think he's still an above average interior rusher, which obviously has value with that. So he may be overvaluing himself in terms of what he, what he can do and how much money he commands. But if you're a free agent in late May and, and you're looking for a job, then you're probably going to get that much on the market. And I think that's where the Bengals will come in. And also I think you have to look at the source of who's reporting this. Rossini has been, on top of all things Bengals rumors that she was on oh. top of Preston Brown returning the BW web signing uh, amongst uh, other things. So when she's saying something is, is something in, in regards to the Bengals, you really have to take, take that at face value and, and, and assume it's probably the truth. I don't know if McCoy has the mutual interest that the Bengals have in him, but I do think that if he does, this is something that we should definitely keep in mind, especially if things don't work out with the Browns and Colts. So uh, 
I mean, I, I guess you kind of answered my other question about, you know, effectiveness. My thing is, you know, I've seen I've seen both sides of this coin where you get excited about a guy who could come in and a big name guy, former high pick, pro bowler, all that. You know, I've seen the Bengals be able to land a Sam Adams and a, J- a James Harrison and, and, you know, all of that. Both didn't really work out very well, but they were able to land those types of guys. I don't want to say McCoy is quite towards the end of his career like those two guys were at that, that point, but he's getting there. Um and then I've also seen the Warren Saps and other, you know, other guys where they were kind of in the running and, you know, they kind of lowballed them or whatever. I, I guess I'm sitting here. Should we get our hopes up or no? And is this is this new regime, this new coaching regime, enough to sell McCoy to come to Cincinnati if he's if he's maybe debating similar offers to other other teams that I mean- were maybe especially ones that were maybe competitive last year. I mean, it might because he had a mutual parting with Tampa. So there was obviously, you know, notions and feelings from McCoy's side that he just wasn't, or he just didn't want to be there anymore. And obviously that probably goes with the current culture in Tampa Bay and the current status of of their, of their program in terms of winning. So it's not that much different, if not worse than where the Bengals are right now. So you can call that a lateral move, but there'd definitely be plenty of opportunity here. And, 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 and I just think that, I'm sorry. What was the other part of the question? I, I'm, should we get our hopes up or? Should, oh, I mean, right. we... Yeah. Um. I, I, no, because I, I think right now for me personally, it's just a matter of, uh, of them just showing interest in general and what I believe to be genuine interest. So I think that definitely is a positive that we should that we should take. But I think beyond that, it's just a matter. Of, it's just all out of our hands and it's all out kind of, out of the Bengals hands. They can, they can present their case and hope, and hopefully, you know, Taylor does a good job of, does a better job of going beyond just, you know, uh, of just bringing guys in and just, just, just seeing what they're about. But there, if there's actual genuine interest, then, then maybe, but at the end of the day, there, there are other teams who have better prospects of winning now. And I think that's going to be something that McCoy values dearly. So if it, if it comes down to the price tag, it probably won't be in the Bengals being the front runner of this competition, but I, I do think that there's a possibility that, that Taylor can lure him in with, with whatever sales pitch, because there is definitely plenty of time to be had at that position for what the Bengals have right now. I don't think McCoy should be scared by Ryan Glasgow or, or, or even Ronald Wren for that matter. So I, I do think it's possible. I just wouldn't get my hopes up beyond where I am right now, because right now I'm, I'm just content that, that they aren't satisfied with what they have and that they are actually interested in a solid player on the open market. Cause that's more than we can say about you know the past 16 years. Yeah. And like you said, um, you know, he, he does have some, some juice left, some, some ability to contribute to the Bengals. And I think as you saw the atrocious defensive performances last year throughout a lot of the season, um, you know, I, I think you saw some fatigue set in up front. Uh, once Glasgow went down, Geno Atkins had to play a few more snaps than, than you know, than you would think. He's entering his 10th season. Um, you know, Carlos Dunlap, all those guys were, you know, getting up there in age and uh, they could use another rotational player. It seems weird to call McCoy a rotational player, a former Pro Bowl guy, but um, that's kind of, I think they would kind of mix and match and I think it would keep guys fresh. And that's, uh, that's, that was a key to the defense being dominant under Mike Zimmer years ago. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that, that rotation and varying the fronts. So uh, maybe, maybe that's the plan. We'll see if the Bengals have enough uh, money and 
charisma, I guess, to to <laughs> sell McCoy to get to get uh, to Cincinnati. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. And as I mentioned, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can also get it on um, the Megaphone platform. You can get it on YouTube. And all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. Um, as I mentioned, uh, we have a, uh, a special guest joining us tonight, and I, I apologize we got him. Uh, we got him on a little later than I had promised him because we got started a couple minutes later than I had thought. So Jacob Loke is going to be uh, joining us in just a second here. For those of you who, are, who don't know, uh, Jacob is uh, with Baltimore Beatdown, the SB Nation uh, Raven site. We wanted to bring him back. Uh, we wanted to bring him on the program. We've talked to his, um, his cohort. Jacob, are you there? Yeah, I am. What's up guys? Hey, sorry, buddy. I muted you while we were uh, finishing up there. And I think I, um, I think I ended up just, I don't know. It took away his voice forever. Yeah. No worries, man. I was, I was just sitting there not saying anything. I was kind of just enthralled by all that Bengals talk. So I kind of even forget sure. saying anything. But uh, yeah, it's Luke, by the way, too, just so you guys know. Luke. Okay. Okay. That was the other option. Um, we were in the right we have options. I've, I've heard it all throughout the, throughout the year. So no worries, man. Well, you're, you're, even though you're repping a Baltimore team, you are wearing the right colors on your hat for those, those of you not able to join us live. Yeah. He's yeah, he's wearing a Baltimore Orioles hat. Um, good to have you with us again. It's Jacob Luke with SB Nation's Baltimore Beatdown. Beat and, Jacob, we wanted to bring you on um, because we wanted to talk about the landscape of the AFC North. A lot of people think it's wide open or somewhat open uh, this year based on some moves and all that kind of stuff. And we thought, who really, who better to – go to kick this thing off with and then the Ravens who won the division last year. And uh, so we wanted to bring you on. We want to ask you, uh, you know, about the state of the Ravens and stuff. I guess we will start or I will start kind of with last year and and how the team did. Um, I mean, you looked at week two when the, when the Bengals and the Ravens faced the Bengals really kind of, for lack of better words, took it to the Ravens and you kind of thought, wow, maybe this Baltimore team isn't, all it's cracked up to be. They had they got off to an, a crazy start. I think they scored what fifty some points in that opener um, and a big win. And then the Bengals take it to them. And then there's a lot of questions. And then they make the quarterback switch. I guess my question would be: Was this expected? Was the success of Lamar Jackson expected? And you know, or was it a, a complete surprise that this Ravens team did so well? So I think it was a surprise if you consider kind of the way that it happens. Like you said, they got off to a hot start. I think they were three and one at one point. They went into Pittsburgh and kind of in the way that the Bengals took it to them, they took it to the Steelers and you had Eric Weddle talking about not the same old Ravens, that kind of thing. And things were pretty optimistic there, but then the team, you know, they fell apart a little bit. They ended up at four and five. The offense was kind of in the mire. The sky had pretty much fallen and John Harbaugh was pretty much all but out the door as November was getting started. But then, like you mentioned, Lamar Jackson took over kind of half as a necessity because of Flacco's injury. But I also thought that there was a chance that it was going to happen coming out of the bye week against your Bengals anyway, just to sort of give a jolt to that offense that, like I said, was sort of stuck in the mud the last couple of weeks um, with a ton of familiar issues that they had been facing the last couple of years. And I think it was surprising in the sense that not only that he had the individual success that he had, but that the team completely rallied around him. They 
goes six and two in his eight starts for the team last year. His playing style complemented them so well. And if you had asked me before the season what I was expecting, I you know I would have said similar success in terms of like playing style and the overall promise that he showed. But I think for taking over the team halfway this through the season and just completely gelling with the team, with the defense, with the running game, and transforming them into this sort of ground and pound playoff contender when it looked like they were anything but that to start the year, I'd say I would have had a, a hard time buying it. So um, I expected them to wind up about where they were 10 and six, but I thought you would have seen a little bit more of Flacco and it would have been a little bit more of what you were typically used to seeing out of the Ravens. But uh, I'm glad it didn't end up that way because it looked like they're set up to maybe have some success here with Jackson. So yeah, it was uh, surprising for sure, but uh, a welcome surprise. I, I know my co-host uh, is eager to, to get, some insight from you as well, but I, I have to ask based on what you just said. And I guess this is kind of a macro question, a big picture question, but is, is the idea still to kind of do this? I don't want to call it like an elementary offense, but this, you know, relatively basic read option style is is that still the plan you think in 2019 are they going to expand some things based on some acquisitions they made or you know is it, are we going to see a lot of the same just with perhaps some more talented players i would say yes and no i think they're still going to be incorporating some of the read option stuff but a i don't think that stuff really works over the long term and b i don't think you want to get your young quarterback hurt so i think ultimately you're going to see a little bit more of that, but I think it's going to be more of an evolved version of it. Marty Mornenweg had been the coordinator there the last couple of years, and there were a ton of mixed results on the guy. And I, I understand he did a nice job with them down the stretch, but I think you're seeing Greg Roman, who's done this type of thing before with this type of quarterback. You saw him get the best years out of Colin Kaepernick, the best years out of Tyrod Taylor. So I think you're going to see a little bit of a marriage of what he did back in those days, and then maybe a little bit of a marriage of somebody like Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma who people are touting as sort of the next big offensive mind in the college game who can maybe transition into the pros. So I think you could see some of those old school concepts married with newer ones to sort of freshen it up a bit. So similar approach, but I think I'm expecting the talent to help out a little bit and I'm expecting the scheme to evolve enough to the point where um, it's going to be maybe not as successful because they were, you know, historically successful on the ground last year, but maybe more of a balanced attack that's, going to have some success as well in 2019. Definitely helps to have Greg Roman as your offense coordinator with his history of Colin Kaepernick. But I kind of want to talk about the defense here because there was a lot of turnover, especially in that front seven and even an important position in the, in the, in the back four as well. There was just a lot of – like Terrell Suggs, C.J. Mosley, Darius Smith maybe wasn't as much of a long-term face of that defense as those other two guys though. But there's a lot of – in the in the loss of Eric Weddle too, there's a lot of – turnover in terms of not only solid players, but players of leadership on that defense. And the Ravens have always had solid depth at every important position on, on the defense. And you still have great cornerbacks as well, but kind of talk about who are the faces that are expected to really take over in terms of those leadership roles and, and really get the defense playing at the same level as they have in the past recent years with all that turnover. So I think uh, one of the guys is one of your big ticket signings, uh, Earl Thomas, and he's not necessarily a vocal dude, but I think he's going to come in and do his work and be in the weight room, be in the defensive meeting rooms, kind of show the younger guys how he got to the point of where he is, which is one of the better safeties in the history of the league. So he's one. I think uh, another guy that they're looking at to step up a little bit, and they've actually talked about this, is uh, Patrick Owasso, who's uh, the middle linebacker who's going to be kind of taking over for Mosley there, who you mentioned. Uh, he's a guy that they've said they want to get a little bit more vocal 
they, I think he's going to be wearing the dot this season for the defense. So he's going to be kind of one of the captains in the mix there. So for the front seven, I think he's going to be a guy uh, that's going to be a little more vocal and stepping up as a uh, leadership type of role. And then a third guy is Brandon Williams, who has been there, but he kind of was came in into a weird time where he was never going to be one of those next sort of leaders as you transitioned out of the Ray Lewis Ed Reed era. But he was very he's very good. He, you know, is a guy who earned himself a big contract. And um, I think as a part of that, as they transition into the sort of new era here, uh, losing guys like Terrell Suggs, I think he's going to be a guy who is expected to step up both for need and for the fact that he's always sort of had that sort of locker room guy, good personality. So I, I'd expect him to be another name uh, there for sure. Talking with Jacob Luke of Baltimore Beatdown and their podcast. If uh, those of you who have been listening to this show for a while, uh, Jacob works on, on the podcast there with Bill Laricos, who uh, has been on our show before. So glad we've got their tandem now officially on our show. Uh, good to have you with us, Jacob. Talking some Ravens, previewing their outlook going forward. You know, I... I was, uh, you know, the Ravens kind of did some things early in free agency, and then they kind of started just piling on the the players, right? It was like Earl Thomas, then it was Ingram, then it was, um, and, and I was pretty impressed with with uh, you know some of the moves that they made. Um, yes, they lost Mosley, arguably the the best uh, linebacker and or defensive player in free agency, but you know they they made some other moves to potentially upgrade other areas of their team, and then you know you look at the draft. And they draft Hollywood Brown, which to me is just a total Ravens signing in terms of a, a, or a draft pick in terms of a receiver. Smaller, faster, um, kind of the straight line speed guy. They like those guys. They've traditionally liked those guys. What, what's the fan base kind of feeling like based on those acquisitions? And is it is the, the idea or the, the prevailing opinion that these are the moves that are going to push the Ravens beyond, you know, the 10 wins or so that they had last year and, and what they did in the postseason. More than just, I think, this year and having success, I think there's sort of an indication of pushing the team into a little bit more of the modern NFL. Um, you saw Ozzie Newsom, who's an amazing general manager. He's a Hall of Famer, probably as an executive, even though he already is as a player. But he was kind of sort of caught in a vortex of where he would just sort of build teams that were maybe a little bit more built to stop old school teams that ran the ball a little bit more and more as, fo as focused on the passing. And I think CJ Mosley is a guy who sort of represents that. I mean, he was a very good player. He wasn't necessarily elite and he didn't really represent what you want in kind of a modern off ball linebacker in a lot of ways. And so I think he's the perfect example of a guy that, you know, Ozzy would have overpaid to keep in house, even though he wasn't quite worth it. I mean, the guy was asking for borderline quarterback money. And so I think with Eric Tocosta, you're seeing a bit more of a modern kind of analytical type approach. So I think that's why you see him pass up a guy like Mosley and instead invest it into Earl Thomas, who's more suited to pay, play in that kind of pass-happy league. And I think the, the defense, they're not going to be as good against the run. But organizationally, I think as a philosophy, it's going to kind of move you away from that old-school stop-the-run mentality and push you into the modern era, which is a good thing. And you saw that sort of philosophy spill into the draft a little bit as well. You mentioned Hollywood Brown. I think – he is and he isn't a Ravens type pick, um, which ironically, again, I see that as a good thing. He's They do like speed, but it's just a position where they don't invest a ton into it. They definitely haven't spent a ton of first round picks at the position. I think only twice in the franchise's 20 year history, which is kind of crazy. Um, and he isn't really that sort of physical 
freak that, you know, Ozzy kind of seemed to fall in love with a bit too much with guys like Rashad Perriman. I think he's a little bit more of a modern type receiver. He's going to bring a dynamic element and a speed to the offense that the organization has never really seen before. I mean, you guys know a thing or two about good receiver play over there in Cincy, and we certainly don't. So I think uh, hopefully he'll kind of buck that trend a little bit. And beyond that, I think, you know, you got Miles Boykin and Justice Hill. Those are two guys that I think are going to be good additions to the uh, skill positions there in the third and fourth at receiver and running back. I think they're both going to see the field this season. I think they're going to round out an offense that looked kind of sparse even a few weeks ago before the drafts. And uh, beyond them, you got guys like Jalen Ferguson. He was, I think, a good grab in the third. High production, sort of limited athleticism. I see him more as a guy who's – not going to make a ton of Pro Bowls, but he's going to consistently churn out eight, nine, ten sacks a year, which is great for a third-round pick. And other than that, you have guys like Ben Powers and Dalen Mack. Those are typical Ravens picks that, like you mentioned, you know, trench players who are going to see the field in the rookie years. You're going to get a lot of use out of them. Biggie Marshall, another guy that, you know, is sort of that profile, a bigger guy from a, a bigger school who they're going to maybe stash away um, and, uh, you know, develop in, into an eventual starter. And then the wild card is obviously Trace McSorley, who anything could happen with that guy. I mean, he could be the long-term backup for Lamar um, down the line. He could be a potential special teamer as early as this year, or he could be off the team by September. So you, you don't know, but that's kind of what makes it fun with him. So you guys are the reigning champs, but everyone right now wants to crown the Browns on the scale of one to 10. How yeah, did we even win the division? I'm not sure. It feels like Cleveland won it. Cause yeah, that's yeah. all I can to talk about. <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, how, how afraid are you of the Browns right now? Um, I would say pretty afraid. I think they're going to win the division. Um, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if they don't, um, because you can kind of see those things go south pretty quickly. You saw the dream team in Philly. That's the example everyone want to point to. But I, I'm not really concerned, but are we sure Baker Mayfield is like a pro bowler every year already? I mean, he had a great season, and I liked him a lot coming out of college, and I still do, but you never know with quarterbacks, so it's going to kind of all fall on him. Um, ultimately, I am a believer. I see them in that kind of 11, maybe even 12 win rings this season. And, you know, like I said, I, I am expecting them to, but where they're kind of in a dangerous territory is if that doesn't happen, then what happens? Cause they're, they're expected to at least win the division this season. So that's going to be interesting for a team that's been the seller dweller for the better part of the last 20 years. Jacob, um, I, I want to ask, and it's kind of, I guess it's a little on the same lines as uh, my, what my colleague just asked you, but uh, it's more geared to the Bengals. Um, to be quite uh, frank, um, really, I mean, the, the Ravens have had a tough time putting away the Bengals in recent years under Marvin Lewis, really. Um, I mean, it's been a relatively even series, but uh, I think the Bengals have a slight edge in the in the years under Marvin Lewis, which um, given the Bengals' lack of success against Pittsburgh, it's a little surprising because Baltimore is a premier franchise in the NFL, so um, it's a little surprising there, but... A lot of people think Cincinnati, you know, we just heard the Browns are the, are the darling. The Ravens just won the, the division last year. The Bengals are coming off a six-win season. They've got a brand-new coaching staff. They had a lot of injuries last year. A lot of people aren't thinking they are going to do much. What is your opinion and or the fan base's opinion of the Bengals in 2019? Or are they just pretty much an afterthought at this point because it's all about the new Cleveland Browns and the big bad Steelers? You know, nothing would surprise me with them. I feel like a lot of people do see them as sort of that afterthought, but I think that's more just a function of the fact that they're a little bit boring right now. I think Andy Dalton is fine. I mean, he's a guy that everyone kind of likes to dump on. I don't necessarily agree. I see him as kind of that Daniel Jeremiah talks about this. Are you a trucker? Are you a trailer? I see him as kind of a trailer where if everything 
kind of clicks around him, then he can be a very good quarterback. I mean, he was an MVP candidate four years ago before he hurt his thumb. And then, you know, it kind of has gone downhill from there, but maybe he just, all he needed was that sort of fresh breath of fresh air. And now you have Zach Taylor coming in, who's being brought in to do that. So like I said, nothing would surprise me. Five and 11 wouldn't surprise me and 10 and six wouldn't surprise me. I think it kind of all depends on what Dalton can do this season. And um, I think if you have a AJ Green healthy and back into the mix, you bring in Drew Sample at tight end, maybe he can help offset Tyler Eifert when he inevitably gets hurt. And then Joe Mixon, I really like at running back. So I think if Jonah Williams hits uh, some of the other additions that you know, they've made along the offense. I think the offense could at least have them in contention to go 500. And then if the defense is able to round into form a little bit and actually stay healthy this year, who knows? They could get to 10 wins. I don't see why not. Hmm. Talking with Jacob Luke of Baltimore Beatdown and their podcast there. Before we get you out of here, Jacob, first of all, appreciate all the time, man. Um, very, very cool of you to hop on here. But before we get you out of here, very early prediction from you in terms of how the AFC North will, will play out. It sounds like you, you said you think the Browns will win the division, but uh, if you can, if, if you have an idea as to maybe how the division will play out, especially how much uh, the, the record of the Ravens, um, I'd be interested to hear that. So like I said, I've got Cleveland winning it. I think the Ravens are going to be in the nine to 10 win range. Potentially they could maybe, even drop down to eight. I think if some things, you know, don't break their way, um, it's just a weird schedule going back and forth home and away every other week. So I'm not sure how that's going to work out. I've got Pittsburgh kind of in the range with them, um, eight, nine, 10 wins. And then I've got Cincy probably five, six, seven right now. I've got them on that lower end of the range. But uh, like I said, I think it's, it's kind of a wide open division as much as everyone's already crowning Cleveland. I think the Steelers are always going to be in it. I think the Ravens have proven that they're, sort of that type of franchise as well. And the Bengals, for as much as everyone wants to count them out, they've, they've had a ton of success in the past as well. So like I said, I've got Cleveland on top. And after that, it's kind of a mishmash. So I guess we'll see what happens. But uh, that's where I'm leaning right now. Yeah, that's kind of the prevailing opinion. So um, not, not, you know, hard to, hard to hate on you um, for that. Uh, Jacob, where can people find your stuff, follow you, all that good stuff on social media? You can find me on BaltimoreBeatdown.com, putting up articles there um, pretty much every week, uh, just covering the team. I don't know how much your audience is going to be too invested on that. You can find me on Twitter. Let me pull up my handle, actually. I don't know it off the top of my head. It's at Jacob underscore underscore. That's two underscores, Joseph, for some reason. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much where I'm going to be putting out all my work. You can also check out the Baltimore Beatdown podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone, wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, yeah, tune in. Awesome. Well, thanks for making the time, man. I know you you had your own show tonight, so uh, appreciate you coming on and tell tell Bill hello for us as well. And hopefully, we'll get you on. Hopefully, maybe during the season, um, during you know, as as the these two teams get set to face, we'd love to have you back on. Yeah, definitely, guys. Thanks for it. It was fun. Um, yeah, maybe we could do a little home and home. You guys can come over on our show anytime you want. And uh, yeah, it was great. Um, you know, be good. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That's uh, Jacob Luke with Baltimore Beatdown joining us. Um, we had a little bit of a snafu at the beginning, but we got him. We got him on here, and uh, um, it's it's pretty cool. We've had a, co- a, a special guest the last two episodes, so pretty stoked on that. Um, John, I, I think it's it's hard to it's hard to to. I mean, you don't like to hear, "Oh, I've got the Bengals at six, seven wins," and of course, it's coming from a Ravens guy, but. That's that's the prevailing opinion, right? I mean, that's just what it is. And and heck, I saw someone predicted the Bengals would be a three-win team this year. So 
I mean, we can we you can say oh Ravens guy, I, I get it, but um, he's that's kind of the perception, and until the Bengals shut people up, that's what it's going to be, right? Like, like, what exactly have they done to instill confidence that they're going to win the division? They 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 haven't done as much as Cleveland, and they're not Pittsburgh and, and, and Baltimore, so they don't get that perception with that. They if they want this offseason buzz, they need to do something spectacular and that that would put them over the top, and they just haven't really done that. It's just been more or less, uh, obviously, aside from the coaching turnover, it's just been more or less the same offseason in terms of a personnel standpoint. So, like, they won six games last year. Yeah, they were really injured, but they just – it's all about them proving it. They're not they're not going to get all this universal love if they have if they don't do anything different besides hire a new coaching staff. So th- that's, the, that's the hope of the new coaching staff is that it elevates them to pass to where they've been in the past three years, but that that's just – what we should expect and like yeah like like jacob said he's absolutely right they, they're capable of winning even less games than last year even if they don't get injured and they're capable of contending for the division depending on their health and depending on if everything clicks so they're they're definitely a wild card in terms of projection right now because it's just hard to nail them down because there's not a lot of any, anything known with them right now but that it's just a safe bet to assume they won't be much better than where they were last year because not that much has changed and the things that have changed we just don't know if those can be changed for the good Right, and this is a season that is either going to be predictably tough because of the rebuild, um, or it's going to be um, it's going to be uh, you know one that that could surprise some people. Uh, we it's hard to expect what the Bengals are going to give us this year. Um, it's going to it's going to depend on health, and like like we've been saying, I think that. It's going to depend on other factors, including, you know, the, it, it's, is it, they have enough talent as it already is. It just wasn't being mined or developed properly. Um, you know, I think that's, that's part of the issue. Um, we did get uh, some questions uh, in the, um, in the live YouTube chat. We've got calls. We're running a little long, partially because, we got uh, we got started a little late. That's my fault. I apologize. But we had a special guest, and based on the announcement we made last week, what we're trying to do is break up this show a little bit in more digestible parts. We have our main show, which is the Wednesday night show. We also are giving you some updates on you know major news and whatnot that that's coming through. But we're also going to try and break up the listener questions segment um, if we can. So what we're going to do is we're we're going to put the listener questions on hold for another show but what we want you to do is you can still text us at 949-542-6241 you can um you can get in touch with us via email the obinsider at gmail.com you can send those to us on twitter at bangles obi and uh, you can get in touch with either John or myself at John underscore Sheeran. Right, John? Isn't that your two, two underscores? I'm like Jacob. I had that two oh, underscores. Oh, you are John <laughs> underscore Sheeran. Uh, or uh, at CJ Anthony CUI. So a variety of different ways to get in touch with us. And what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and make a little mini episode maybe of, of the questions and go from there. So um, that's, that's what we're going to do, I think, for the listener questions. At least we're going to start trying that out this week and see if we can um, get some listener questions. And so send those to our way. You can also get those to us um, on uh, on the Cincy Jungle comment threads. I didn't mention that. Um, we'll try and scour the YouTube channel too. So leave leave them wherever, 
and uh, we'll try and do that. And then as we do that show, we will also try and, um, you know, field some calls as well during that portion. So we'll let you know when that is, um, you know, it, it is going to depend on how many we get and, and all of that, but uh, we'll let you know when that is so you can tune in live for it, and, but just keep sending us questions. And if, you know, the main show permits in terms of time, we'll get to those on the main show as well. But uh, we're going to try and break some things up here and, and do it that way. At least try it out and see how it goes. And, uh, yeah. Right, John? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. The trial and error right now. That's what oh, the yeah. offseason is for. That's right. That's right. We're, we're, we're practicing just like the Bengals. Um, I, I do want to say this before we get out of here. Um, there is a, a listener, Jason Von Stein. Um, you may you may know him, John. Um, Avid listener. Yes. He's he's... I think he's called in a couple times, and he has uh, he's definitely in the YouTube chat a lot. Um, he supplied us uh, with a we, he supplied us with some music. Uh, so, it, it, for those of you who listen to the show uh, via you know via audio or video, the. the we do an intro and outro with music and usually usually it's music we already have access to and we put at the beginning of the show we put it at the end of the show and you know it kind of gussies it up and you know makes it makes it seem uh professional i guess uh as as novice as we can be sometimes but um he was kind enough to say hey you know i've got this song can you promote it um so in the last couple of episodes we've put out, I think it was both for the OTAs, for the Willie Anderson interview, and um, the the last episode in general, the big episode, we had that music on the intro and outro. It was a song called Mr. Misery, I think. Um, and it was a pretty cool little vibe to it. So check it out. And Jason Von Stein's got a lot of different music. He and his dad um, collaborate. I think he now plays music in lieu of his dad because his dad's older and he now kind of performs but uh, just want to say a quick thank you to jason von stein for um getting that and if you enjoyed that tune check him out on the internet he performs live i think at locally somewhere i think it's in nashville mostly but if you're in the area check him out but um very cool stuff we were we were happy to have him send that over unfortunately we couldn't play the entirety of the song there's lyrics to it and everything but we couldn't do that uh for the intro and outro but hopefully you enjoyed that and we really dig the fan interaction of this program in the form of stuff like that, the questions, all that stuff. We really dig on that. So thanks, Jason. I don't know if you have any uh, thoughts or anything on that, John, but um, I thought it was pretty cool. As long as we don't have to pay for music, I'm all for it. <laughs> That's your – okay. All right. <laughs> Someone's going to get the budget for this. That's right. That's right. Uh, the line item guy. That's the economics major coming up. <laughs> anyone's wondering. Um, oh, gosh. Um, well, I, any final thoughts before we get out of here, John? Um, you know, it's been a, another crazy episode, and uh, we're trying to keep this one a little shorter than usual. But I'm not going to lose any sleep if the Bengals don't side Jerry McCoy, and neither should you. It should be good enough that at least they're showing interest in a top-tier player in May you know, to improve a position that, for the most part, they have pretty solid depth in. So I think this is a, this is a, this is a win for them regardless if they don't sign. The fact that they're just looking for him I think is enough for me. And this is coming from someone who can be coined as a pessimist in terms of the Bengals. So 
I, I like the direction that, that they're going. If they don't sign them, it's not the end of the world. But I think this is positive news. And also, I guess the, the offense line is still very much in the, up in the air. So I, I, I like where that's headed, but it could be definitely be different. So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see what happens on that front. I think it's something that uh, definitely could be a major beneficial move, and hopefully we are talking about, you know, a potential move by the Bengals at this point. Um, and, you know, we'll see if it if we'll see if they do it. We'll see if, if he does come in here, if he bears fruit. I mean, there there was a, a, a big-name defensive tackle that they signed last year. Um, I, I his name is escaping me at the moment. Chris Baker. Yes, thank you. His uh, It's been that kind of a week. Um, so they, they signed him. We kind of had some high hopes for him to be at least a contributor. Uh, he had a couple of good years with Washington, but nothing materialized there. So, um, you know, obviously McCoy is a better player and has been a better player than Chris Baker. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's gonna, going to be interesting to see if that's um, – you know, if they sign him and what the impact will be. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this program on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify. You can get it on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform as well as on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. Our thanks to all of our listeners who tuned in live. Our thanks to Jacob Luke from Baltimore Beatdown for joining us. And my thanks to my co-host, John Sheeran. Appreciate you, what you do for the program, my friend. And uh, I guess we'll talk, we'll talk soon. Hopefully with the, over, those, over some listener questions, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. See you, everybody.
Hey. Mm-hmm.